Listeners, there's honestly nothing I love more than a good writing retreat, especially one that comes with solid coaching and the chance to meet other writers who are working on similar projects. This fall, three Author Accelerator certified book coaches are offering what sounds like a dream retreat if what you're working on is telling your own story. It's called Mainly Memoir, and it's a retreat for women writers in historic Biddeford, Maine. Mainly Memoir will provide three days in the gorgeous Maine woods in September, with one-on-one coaching both before, during, and after the retreat. It is the perfect opportunity to give yourself the gift of time and focus so that you can make real progress on your memoir this year. Mainly Memoir will be held from September 21st through 24th, 2023. A scholarship is available for a memoirist from a community that has been traditionally underrepresented in publishing. Learn more at MainlyMemoir.com, and as you've probably guessed, Mainly is spelled M-A-I-N-E-L-Y. So that's Maine the State, MainlyMemoir.com. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay! Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's start over. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Okay. Hey, I'm Jess Leahy, and this is the Hashtag Am Writing Podcast. This is the podcast about all things writing. It's about pitching. It's about writing fiction, nonfiction, poetry, plays. It's about finding an agent. It's about finding an editor. It's about doing all that work of getting the words on the page. And more than anything else, it's about getting the work done. This week, it's just me, Jess Leahy, author of The Gift of Failure and The Addiction Inoculation. You can also find my work at The Atlantic, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal. This week, I want to talk about, so, you want to be an expert. How do I break in the media? So early on in my career, um, this was something that was really just mystifying to me. What if I have expertise in an area? How do I get people to interview me about that expertise? Who are all these people on talk shows and on radio interviews and being interviewed by journalists in the media on a topic? Let's say, for example, you know, should kids uh, be allowed to go to sleepovers? That kind of thing. Anyway. This is a, um, it's really, it seems like a big world that you know nothing about in order to break in, seems like some kind of mystery, but it's not actually, especially with the advent of social media, especially with our ability to reach out directly to reporters and producers. So for those of you who are writing and feel like you have the expertise to talk on a sp- on a specific topic and want to get interviewed on that topic, let's let's do this. Speaking of which, if you are an expert in a given topic, please do not stray outside your area of expertise until you are ready to do so, which means unless you are also an expert in that other area. With the rise of social media, with the rise of this more accessible media landscape, there are lots of people who are overstepping their bounds. This was something that I decided 
early on that I would not do. I was not willing to be one of those people who would offer their opinion on things that they did not have extensive research or expertise in. So, you know, even today when I'm asked about topics that are just outside of my wheelhouse, I will defer to other authors. I often have, for example, for questions I get a lot um, on topics related to my topic, but not necessarily my topic. I usually have book recommendations. I usually say, you know, I'd love to answer that question, but that's just outside of my expertise, but let me recommend some um, some resources for you. So be really careful about staying within your area of expertise. It adds to your clout. It adds to your how well people can rely on you and how reliable your information is going to be. So let's just start there. Own your expertise, number one, but do not own uh, areas that are outside of your expertise. Okay, let's talk specifically about getting yourself out there. How do you get this ball rolling? So let's assume that you're doing some writing and maybe you're getting that writing out into the world via a blog, via an article that you've put out in the media somewhere. So I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but every time I published a new article, I had a routine. I had a list of public, of, um, excuse me, producers that I would go to and I would pitch them on that particular topic. Um, Sometimes I could just tell that this was not going to be a topic that a given producer might be interested in. So for example, I had a wonderful booker that I dealt with, a producer I dealt with a lot at um, the Today Show, and I had a fairly good feeling for what she wouldn't find, uh, you know, compelling enough or interesting enough or clicky enough. And things that, you know, were really sort of feeding on things, um, on ideas that were already out there in the zeitgeist. Sometimes if I had an article that, uh, backing up just a second, sometimes when I had an article that I had actually written, let's say it's absolutely done, but it's just... I can just tell that there's going to be a newsy hook for this article coming out soon because it's something that seems to happen fairly often. I don't know. Let's say it's a a cheating scandal. Let's say it's an over-parenting thing. Sometimes I'll wait until just the right moment, which can be frustrating for the people that I interview because they're eager to see their name out there as well, and it adds to their expertise. Remember, this is sort of a uh, a revolving sort of cycle of giving each other cred. Uh, so sometimes it can be frustrating when an article doesn't come out when the writer thinks it might, but that's par for the course and you have to kind of get used to that. But there have been many times that I had fully written an article and it just wasn't the right time and place for it. So I waited for a newsy hook to come out. I waited for something in the zeitgeist to rear its head so that that was the right time for the article, which often meant that it was more pitchable to, to for example, television and radio as well. So as I mentioned, I would have a list of television producers, of radio producers that I could tap and say, look, I have this article coming out in 24 hours on X. Might you be interested in that topic? Um, Sometimes I would wait until the actual article came out. In fact, often I would wait until the article came out because one of the first things I learned is that editors um, really don't like it when you announce that something is coming out before it's actually coming out. And it's going to burn you in the end because there are lots of times that my articles, fully written articles, fully edited articles have gotten killed at the last minute. And then I'm like, sorry, producer, that thing I said was going to come out actually isn't come out. So let me sort of reframe what I said. Let me re- restate a, a more, uh, a better way to say this. 
I would get in touch with producers and say, this article is scheduled to go live in a couple of hours. And, you know, not until we have like full confirmation this thing is going out there. And this sounds like a topic that you might be interested in. Uh, would you like to hear more about it? And we'll talk about what that pitch should look like in just a second. So that was a routine that I went through on a fairly regular basis. And it got public, it got uh, producers used to hearing from me. I also had to make sure that my pitches were good and solid because they're only going to continue to open my emails as long as what I'm offering them is compelling, that their listeners or readers will want to know more that I'm um, not going outside my area of expertise, that I am reliable, that I am good in an interview, that kind of thing. So um, success within a given media organization begets success. So you want to start, if you have, let's say you have this list of producers that you want to pitch, start with your first choice at the top. I mean, this makes a lot of sense, right? You're not going to pitch, you know, a nationally, a national morning show after you pitch, you know, your local morning show, because if the national one says yes, you're going to want to go to them, right? The other thing you need to know about the morning shows, for example, the Today Show, Good Morning America, those big morning shows. They don't want guests to be on, on other shows. And there is a certain loyalty, even if you're not under contract to a given show. So, for example, I used to be on the Today Show on a semi-regular basis. And it was great because I had a producer that I loved working with. They got to know how I worked. She got to trust me. I got to trust her. It was fantastic. She came to my rescue at lots of times that she certainly didn't need to. And that's all because we had a relationship. And she would think of me for things that I might not have even pitched myself. That relationship is important. So you better believe that I'm not going to turn around and pitch Fox or pitch CBS or pitch, you know, some other um, network on an idea. Because if I go to them, it's a little bit of a betrayal to this uh, producer that I have. A, it's a lot of a betrayal to this producer that I have a relationship with. Uh, so I would want to stick very specifically to one network. Also, if you have multiple hits on a pitch, let's say you've pitched the Today Show and you pitched Good Morning America, um, you're going to want to pick one and you're going to want to not tell the other producer that you had, um, that you're doing another show. So for example, I learned really early on that if I was going to do, for example, Good Morning America, that I better not pitch that to the Today Show because if they said yes, they're going to be angry and either both or one of them is not going to use me in the end. So anyway, what does a good pitch look like? A good pitch is essentially doing the producer's work for them. Uh, pitches can look lots of different ways, uh, depending on who you ask. They can look like lots of different things. Mine was usually sort of a, a paragraph, a short paragraph that had a framework of wh why you should care about this article, a very short word, you know, sentence or two about why I'm the right person to talk about this, um, this material, and then maybe four or five points that you absolutely want to make. Now, while I say that you're going to want to have three or four points you want to make, maybe they might even want 10 um, because sometimes producers want to see more options. In reality, though, if you're doing a hit on, for example, on the Today Show, often those hits were so short. They were like two and a half minutes. I mean, there's so little time that, you, um, that you're given and it goes so fast that in the end, in my head anyway, I really had one 
point that I wanted to make. Um, I didn't always reveal that to the producer because that was sort of in my head. I needed to be able to come up away from that interviewing feeling like it was successful. And successful for me means one main point that I want to make sure is a part of this interview. And then I can walk away feeling like, yeah, I really achieved what I wanted to achieve there. Now, the producer is really going to like, you know, let's say three or four points. And uh, like I said, sometimes I've seen a lot more than that, but we're never going to get to point five. It's just not going to happen. Um, between small talk, between possibly there being other people on the couch with you that you may not even know about or other people in the interview, this is actually fairly common. Sometimes they'll want a journalist on with you. Sometimes they'll want an expert in the field. This is pretty common. I used to do my Today Show um, hits with a therapist uh, that I absolutely love. And it worked out really well because her name is Jen Hartstein and she and I just worked really well together. And if you can develop that relationship as well, that's even better because Jen, for example, would go on the Today Show and would say, have you thought about having Jess Leahy on with me? And Jen and I had such a good relationship that we knew to cue each other in with points. So for example, I knew Jen was never going to... um, take over the interview. She had respect for me and my work. I had respect for her and her work. We also knew which questions would be best answered by um, one particular person. KJ Delantonia, obviously, and I have done this a lot. We've done a lot of radio together, and there are just questions that are better for KJ, and I will defer to her, and I'll even say, you know, I'm going to let KJ answer this one because I think she's really well positioned to answer this, whatever. Okay, so that's pitching. So a paragraph about um, what the background of the topic is, what the topic is, who you are to be answering this, and some pieces that you want to make sure get across. That's doing the producer's work for them. Remember, producers are overworked. Producers are trying to juggle a lot of things, and doing as much of their work for them ahead of time is great. You might even want to include Anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. I was going to say you might want to include like all of your information, your bio, your headshot, any book art you want to make sure is available to them. Just, you know, who knows in case they want to stick it out there, that kind of thing. So do their work for them. Um, Only pitch things you really want to do. Once I got to the point where I was doing media fairly regularly and I could count on at least one producer wanting to um, talk with me at least a little bit more about a topic, you better believe I was careful about what I pitched because if I pitched something and they were interested, I had to do it because it was a betrayal of our relationship in, as that may be an overstatement, but you get what I mean. If I pitch something, they take the time to consider it. They take the time to pitch it to their higher ups because that's often how it works. And then they come back to me with a, yeah, we're interested in this. And then I say, you know, on second thought, this isn't something I really want to do. That makes them look bad. So don't do that. Only pitch stuff you really want to do. I mentioned looking for those news hooks is going to be really, really important because there are moments when you say, oh, I've got a pitch for that. This would be great. Um, Go ahead and write pitches for things, even things you may not think you want to use, because that's going to be a really great way for you to have material in the hopper, just waiting to um, writing, waiting for the right moment. Watch for also other articles on a topic, especially if there's a really popular article that's not yours, and yet you also have something to say about that. There have been times that I, I've i pitched the Today Show producer on a topic that was um, 
gaining some traction, maybe a study that had come out or an article that had come out. And yes, someone may definitely want to interview the author of that article, but they may also just want to interview you because you happen to be an expert on that given topic as well. So don't underestimate that as a as a way to get your foot in the door. Follow producers and hosts on social media. Twitter has been a way that I've gotten lots of interviews and it's been really great. It's also a great way for me to find out what those producers or hosts are into. Do they have kids? Are they going to be interested in my topic? You know, I tend to do a lot of interviews on parenting stuff and substance use prevention in kids. So it would behoove me to know if a given producer has kids, even cares about this topic. Um, You know, they're also producers are going to not are going to age out of topics are going to evolve out of topics so if you have a producer that covered kids you know once their kids get older they may not be as interested in those topics anymore just kind of keep a track keep track of what they're interested in what they retweet that kind of thing it can be really really helpful Speaking of which, if you travel to do speaking engagements, as I do, it's not a bad idea to try to find out who the uh, reporters are, the radio hosts, the television hosts on the local news in that area. That way you can pitch the news organizations. Let's say I'm traveling to Dallas. I would look up who the big stations are in Dallas and who the hosts are and maybe look them up on social media. If there's someone I know covers topics like mine, then I may pitch them and I may say, look, I'm going to be in Dallas for a couple of days speaking at so-and-so. And would you be interested in a um, in covering either the event or just doing an interview about it ahead of time? It's, it's another way to get some media hits in a new market. Um, what could be great is when you're an author and or a speaker, you'll often find that you can gain some ground in the places where you're inter- where you're invited to speak a lot. And in fact, what's funny is I can go on my Author Central page on Amazon and I can look up uh, geographically where my book is selling. I'm not sure if they still do this, but they did at one time. And it often coincided with the cities where I had been speaking and doing interviews. So that's another good thing to know. Don't, um, don't let that uh, opportunity go by. Think about what the upside for this interview is going to be for you. What are you trying to gain from this? Are you looking to build your expertise? Are you looking to build your social media platform? Are you just looking to fill out, you know, on your website, here are all my media hits? That can be great. Speaking of the upside, though, sometimes you have to think about the downside. Do you want to be known for this topic? I turned down, I've turned down a bunch of interviews, actually, because I didn't want to be the the person who speaks on X topic. I didn't want that to become part of my wheelhouse, either because I don't care about the topic or it's just not something I'm interested in. So don't get blinded by the whole idea of, oh, I could be on the radio or, oh, I could be on television because you can box yourself in by doing a lot of interviews on a topic that you don't necessarily want to be known for. Know ahead of time, of course, what it is you want to say in the interview. It's not enough just that the topic is in your wheelhouse, but do you have a greater point to make, a universal point to make, not just a very personal or uh, specific to your article? What's the big picture for this? Why will Joe Blow America or um, want to know about this topic? What is it that uh, that's going to get them to tune in and watch or listen? Know the show really well. We've talked about this. It goes for agents. Know the agents you want to pitch. Know the editors you want to pitch. Know the interviews, the podcasts you want to pitch. 
you know, there are lots of podcasts that are super popular out there, and I am not at all the right guest for them. So I wouldn't pitch them. It would be great to be on, you know, I don't know, let's pick something, uh, New York Times The Daily on some, you know, whatever newsy topic. Um, it's just right now, anyway, unless something in the zeitgeist comes up about substance use in kids, which does periodically, and let's say I want to write an article for the New York Times about it, then yes, absolutely, I would pitch the daily. But it's not just because it's popular does not mean that it's a, a good fit for you. As finally, just to wrap this up on pitching, like I said, be as thorough as possible. Do the producer's work for them. Remember, the producer has very, very little time to read your pitch email. Make it personal. Make it short. Make it, um, you know, exclude anything that's not necessary for the pitch. Okay. Let's say you get a nibble. Now, you might have to do a pre-interview. A pre-interview is like an audition. Don't think you got it in the bag before you do the pre-interview because you're, you might not. In fact, there have been lots of times that I've done pre-interviews that have gone nowhere. In fact, it's rare, but it happens. I've done lengthy pre-interviews. I've done sample video for topics for big news programs that just no one even thanked me for doing, and it's a pain in the butt. That's just part of it. It's rude, but it happens. Uh, just keep in mind, you do not have this interview until you have gone through the pre-interview process. It is an audition. Um, keep in mind also that some great ways to get yourself out there as an expert may not necessarily be by doing this media hit. So if you don't get it, don't worry. You have the article. You have the potential to put your work out in op-eds, in social media, places like that to build a platform, to build a foundation. And in my experience anyway, when you get some nibbles around your social media work, around your um, the articles you're writing. And I got my first speaking engagement, my first big speaking engagement. Um, I felt like such a grown-up off of a piece I wrote for the New York Times. Um, and, you know, success begets success. And make sure you're keeping track of it. Make sure you have the URLs for your interview and you're not always going to have access to them. Some of my favorite interviews actually never went on the show's uh, website, and that's just how it works sometimes. If it's possible to get the video download, which it hardly ever is, um, that's great too. Store that locally, and then and then make give access to it on your website. Having yourself on video is going to be a great way to build your potential as a speaker and as someone that other people are going to want to interview. In fact, when I uh, signed with my speaking agency. They made it really, really clear that they were going to need some high-quality video from me. So make sure that you get access to the URLs. The producer may or may not take the time to say, oh, look, you're live. Here's your URL. It probably won't happen. Um, once the show has been on, and often what I was doing was live, there may or may not be a URL, and you're just going to have to keep refreshing the site's page. So, for example, when I was on the Today Show, for example, they might um, – the interview pieces have to be produced individually, like you have to cut them up and stuff like that. So the producers may not get those online for a couple of hours. Um, and then you can send it out on all your social media channels and store it so that you have it on your website as a URL uh, resource for people to see what you do. Okay, after the interview. Oh, I also wanted to make this really clear. When you're doing an interview, keep in mind that one point that you really, really want to get across. That can change at the last minute. Uh, one time I went on the Today Show, and at the last second, the producer had a cool idea for a 
a way to drive the point home with the hosts and that the hosts were not privy to. It was really cute. I did an interview, I think, yeah, it was on the Today Show and there were two hosts and one was Al Roker, I believe, and the um, we had them sit down where they wanted to sit and one chair had pink on it, one chair had blue on it and we were talking about gendered, um, you know, children's literature and, and uh, books for boys and girls and stuff like that and automatically the the male sat in the blue chair and the female sat in the pink chair and they had me, they relied on me, which was a huge vote of confidence for me, they relied on me to steer that and ask the hosts why they sat in the chairs that they did and then i and essentially it we turned the tables on the hosts and i like that that's when you know you have the faith of a producer when they give you license or they ask you to do that it was a really big deal um there was also a cool moment just make sure you seize the the cool moments and don't let it go by too fast one time i was on the today show and i was being interviewed by Brooke Shields she was sitting in and there were a couple of other people and um, in the segment just before mine, Brooke Shields was supposed to be doing like a DIY kind of thing. And they had her drill set wrong, the poor woman. Her drill was set to back out screws instead of to screw the screws in. And so she was so embarrassed on air because she knows how to use a drill. And yet it was set wrong. And, you know, in the chaos of being on television, it didn't occur to her to check the setting you know, these segments are really fast. And so when we sat down on the couch and we were getting ready for my segment, I leaned over and I was like, that wasn't your fault, by the way. The drill was set the wrong way. And she felt so much better. And I got a really nice note from her afterwards. And anyway, just seize on the small moments. And uh, don't be insulted if the people interviewing you don't have a ton of time to just sort of, you know, talk before and after because things move really, really fast. You may just get a hello and a handshake. And this goes for radio interviews. This goes for all kinds of stuff. So you may literally be thrust right into the interview rather than getting to do small talk, which, you know, if you really admire a given host, you may want to do the small talk, but you don't always get that opportunity. Send thank you notes. Send thank you notes. Really, really important stuff to do. Okay. Basic homework. Um, be prepared. If you have pitches, as I said before, if you have pitches, if you have articles and it may not be their time, hold on to them. Keep an eye out for newsy hooks. Don't overreach, as I have said a whole bunch of times. If you move past the uh, pre-interview phase and you get to the interview phase, congratulations! If it's video, well, let's talk a little bit about audio versus video. If it is audio, everyone at this point Everyone who wants to do an interview should know the basic rules of audio, well, audio and video interviews. You must have headphones. The reason that you can't do interviews on audio without headphones is that your mic or whatever it is you're using, hopefully you have a mic, get yourself a good mic. It makes a huge difference. Your mic will also pick up the voice of the host and you will have an echo in your ears and so will the host. It is maddening. If, for example, you ever want to come on the Am Writing Podcast, you need to know a couple of things. We're going to, we would love for you to be able to record your end of the audio. I have saved so many podcast interviews by having my source audio um, recorded. I, you can record on GarageBand, you can record on QuickTime. I don't care what it is, but know how to do that ahead of time because your source audio is always going to be better quality than, for example, Zoom audio. 
So even if no one asks for it, I record it anyway. I just get in the habit. And I have saved maybe five podcast recordings when my audio didn't sound right or we lost a connection or whatever. Be able to record your podcast, your uh, your audio at home. So record your audio at home. Have a good mic. Know how it works. Know how to get your audio and your video all working. You know, sometimes you have to... Um, set your destinations for your audio and your destinations for your um, for what you hear. And sometimes you have to do it in Zoom. Sometimes you have to do it on your computer. Practice. Practice it with a friend. If you have uh, someone who also wants to break into the media, this is a great opportunity for you both to practice. Have a microphone. Record your source audio and have headphones. I cannot tell you the number of times that a producer has said, oh my gosh, we have to have you back on. You are so easy as a guest. And that's because I was prepared. I know how to record my source audio. I know how to use headphones. My lighting is good if, we have, if we're doing video. Um, all of these things you need to practice. They're, um, it's going to go a, a long way to getting them to um, ask you back. Sometimes your audio, by the way, just as a side note, if you do record your source audio, it's often going to be too big to email, whether you save it as an MP3 or some other format. Ask them what format they would like for you to save that uh, file in. There are options for that and learn what those are. MP3 is pretty common, though. There's a higher level one that sometimes I do for um, for producers. Um as you can drop those, you can do those audio files by Dropbox. I sometimes do uh, Google uh, doc, uh, Google um, file requests, that kind of thing. So don't worry if it, if it can't be emailed. Okay, interview basics. If you're going to be on television, this is important to know. You may love that animal print. You may love that sparkling outfit. You may love the pattern on your favorite suit that makes you look so great. Don't do it. Don't do it. For the media, you want darker, preferably jewel tones. White is really tough. It makes you look washed out. Black isn't always great, especially if it's shiny. Patterns are bad. Sparkle is bad. uh, That kind of thing. Go jewel tones. Go understated, no pattern, that kind of thing. If you have glasses that change depending on how much light is in the room, studios or your good lighting that you're going to somehow get at home. Um, It's not that expensive, by the way, to buy a pack of um, tripod studio lights. I think I paid $100 for three lighting setups, one with a big overhead boom kind of thing, and I'm still using them and they make a massive difference. Uh, Your glasses are going to change color, and you do not want to look like you're wearing sunglasses on a set. In fact, it's why my husband has no glasses on in the pictures that were featured in People magazine, because he underestimated how dark his glasses were going to get when he was out in the sun. And you think he would have learned that, because during COVID, when he was doing media hits outside of the hospital where he works, he often had that problem. So if you wear glasses and they auto-tint, they tint according to light, Get yourself a second pair of glasses that does not do that or get some readers or don't wear glasses at all because you're going to have to take those glasses off and then you're going to be stuck and you're going to be flustered by the fact that you had a last minute change, right? Uh, You might also want to have a different pair of shoes with you just in case of disasters. I lost a heel once. Um, Just keeping little things like that in mind. 
Okay, the last thing I want to mention is a couple things, actually. Practice answering in certain lengths of time. Uh, Some people want 10-second answers. Some people might want 30-second answers. Sometimes I ask, I say, would you like that answered in 10 seconds or would you like that question answered in 20? Um, You'll get a feel for it as you go along and you get better and better at hitting a particular time limit. That happens to be my superpower. Now, if you tell me you want 10-second answers, I can deliver 10-second answers. So practice. It takes practice. The only reason I'm good at this, the only reason it's my superpower now is I've been doing it for a long time. And finally, if you are a writer on a in a field that has jargon, get rid of the jargon. Jargon is language that you would only know if in, you're in that given field. And it's it's challenging for me because, for example, right now in substance use disorder slash addiction. Addiction is a word we're not supposed to use anymore because it places the blame or fault on the person. We're supposed to talk about people with substance use disorder. However, my book is called The Addiction Inoculation because the substance use disorder inoculation just my editor wasn't going to let me do that, even though the language is more correct. Over and over again, my editor will write, for example, in the margin jargon, get rid of it. Or my, you know, when I was at the Atlantic, you know, we had a running joke about jargon because it can be so hard to get away from the language that makes you sound smart and makes you sound learned in your field. So if there's a term that's like the official term in your field, but you know that the American public doesn't know that term, as long as that term does not carry stigma, you might want to default to that term because... I know you want to sound smart. I want to sound smart too. And I want the people in my field to respect me, but I have to use the term unless, like I said, it's it's something that carries stigma or that the that the all of the style guides are defaulting to. You want to go with language that people are going to understand if they're watching the interview. Um, plan that. Practice using it because I forget sometimes and it's easy for me to default to the language that I'm used to using in my writing and not to the language that most people are going to understand. And again, I want to just say this one more time. Write thank you notes. Write thank you notes to the producer. If you learn the name of the camera person, write a thank you note to them. I've been known to write thank you notes to people who did a particularly good job with my makeup. There was when I was in Abu Dhabi, I let the professional makeup person do my um, do my makeup before a media hit. And it was so good, and she helped me learn so much about a particular way of doing my makeup that I wrote her a thank you note. And it just, it matters, okay? I want to leave you with a couple of things. If you have a professional organization, whether that's the Authors Guild, whether that's the American Psychological Association, whatever your area of expertise in, I bet you anything, your guild, your professional organization has a toolkit for media. They just, they often do. And so Google them, find out if they have them. And there's probably even, for example, with the Authors Guild, um, there are often lots of uh, resources that you don't even know exist. But that's why we have things like the Authors Guild. That's why we have the American Psychological Association or the, you know, Research Society on Alcohol. They're, They're there to be a clearinghouse for lots of information that you might need if you're going to, frankly, make your field look good. And that's what you want to do. You want to make yourself look good as an expert and you want to make your professional organization look good and you want to make your field look good and you want, you know, the people in uh, that are going to watch you say, wow, that person is really representing their field well. 
Okay, that's a lot. I know. Going on interviews is really, really fun. You get really, really nervous ahead of time, no matter what it is, whether it's the Today Show, the local media, your local radio show. Um, But it's fun, and it's an opportunity to hone your craft. The more interviews you do before your book comes out, for example, the more honed your talking points are going to be. So I highly recommend you pitch yourself for as many podcasts and as many interviews about the topic that you're going to be writing about, that your book is going to be about, that your articles are going to be about, so that you're not just doing it trial by fire, which is what happened to me when the article that The Gift of Failure was originally way in the beginning based on. When that article came out, it was a massive trial by fire. The article came out on a Tuesday and I was doing um, national media by Friday. And I didn't know what I was doing. I had uh, The only thing I knew is my friend Carol Blymeyer, who's an incredible, incredible marketing and PR um, professional, She taught me to lean forward in my chair and not lean back. Uh, To lean forward makes you look like you're really, I guess, metaphorically and literally leaning in to that topic, to the information that you're paying attention and that you look eager and excited to talk about this topic. So thanks to Carol for that. It was my very first media training um, moment and I still use it to this day. So thank you so, so much for being a part of today's podcast. And um, if you have any other questions about media training, if you have any questions about hashtag am writing, please go to our Facebook uh, group with the hashtag am writing group on Facebook. We have lovely people there who are incredibly supportive of each other. It's where we answer a lot of questions. It's where we get a lot of our questions or feel free to DM me through any of the social media channels, whether it's Instagram or our Twitter. I even check the boxes for those like these may be potential spam. I check those anyway. So, and my DMs are open on Instagram anyway. So thank you so much for being here go rate our podcast, review our podcast, especially if you love our podcast. And until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. The hashtag am writing podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music aptly titled unemployed Monday was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Listeners, I've got a podcast recommendation for you. Have you tried a bookish home yet? I've been a guest, and it's a delight. Librarian and writer Laura Zaro Kapinski interviews a different author each week, so you can add to your TBR list while getting the inside scoop on the winding road to publication. Coming up this spring, she'll be talking to Amy Popple, Sarah Penner, Maggie Smith, and many more. So, Look for A Bookish Home wherever you get your podcasts.